he sat me in the cockpit of one of his Black Hawk helicopters. And I remember I was 11 years old sitting up there and staring at all these buttons and the windows. And I looked back at him and I was like, this is so cool. I was like, can, can I really do this? People do this as a job? And he said, honey, you can do whatever you want to do with your life. And he said, you can absolutely be a pilot if you want to. Welcome to Her Drive Podcast, a female-focused interview series with women of the world discussing their road trips to success. I'm your host, Cindy Cramblett, a travel expert, business owner, and curious spirit with a knack for meeting fascinating women. Please join me as I hop in the passenger seat and chat with these ambitious women about what drives them, twists and turns, and those pedal-to-the-metal moments. Let's drive. Hello and welcome back to Her Drive Podcast. I have a very uh, exciting, lovely guest today. Her name is Sherry Ginger and Sherry has an extremely impressive resume. Um, Not only is she a professional pilot, but she is a consultant, an entrepreneur and a former combat veteran. Sherry, welcome to Her Drive. Welcome. Thank you so much, Cynthia. I'm sorry. You can hear my little dog Lula in the background kind of barking, but um, she's kind of always by my side when I'm home. So I'm sorry about that. I'm so happy to be here though. Thank you. Oh, great. Well, we love Lula and she was just cheering for her mommy. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Well, Sherry, why don't you go ahead and and give me... um, like your elevator speech for who you are, what you do, and um, and why you love it. Gosh, and that's such an open-ended question. Um, but if I could say, I guess kind of the, you usually ask kind of a billboard, what would you, you know, what would you say is on a billboard? And I think if you drove by a billboard of me, it would say Sherry Ginger, and it would say, kind of what you mentioned, professional pilot, coach, consultant, entrepreneur. I'm um, a very, very proud combat veteran with a lot of time in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, And I'm very empowered to help women. And I'm very empowered to help the next generation of pilots and kind of specifically female pilots. Um, And that's a huge thing that I'm kind of working on with a lot of my um, side hustles that I'm working on. Okay. This is a lot to unpack and, and super amazing. And if I saw that billboard, I'd be like, I need to know this person. <laughs> so I feel really lucky that I was able to meet you, um, a while ago and, um, and get to know you a bit better. And, and now finally hear a lot more about your story. So let's dial it back to when you were, a kid, like, were you dreaming of being a pilot or serving in the military or or what did little Sherry think she was going to do with her life? Well, little Sherry growing up, um, honestly, I was in love with dancing. So I did tap jazz, ballet, acrobat, all of it. I actually took lessons from Broadway instructors. Um, my goal was to kind of dance and be a performer on Broadway And until I was 11 years old and my father was a flight inspector for Sikorsky aircraft. And for those of you who don't know Sikorsky, it is a, um, 
a factory where they build helicopters. So they uh, build military helicopters, corporate helicopters. Um, But specifically, they had a bring your daughter to work day when I was 11 years old. And I'm just so proud of my dad. And I went to work with my dad and had kind of just this life-changing experience where... um, specifically where he sat me in the cockpit of one of his Black Hawk helicopters. And I remember I was 11 years old sitting up there and staring at all these buttons and the windows. And, um, and I looked back at him and I was like, this is so cool. I was like, can, can I really do this? People do this as a job. Um, and he said, honey, you can do whatever you want to do with your life. And he said, you can absolutely be a pilot if you want to. And honestly, Cynthia, from that from that part forward, it was kind of just a I was on a mission to figure out how to do it. And I did not come from a wealthy family. My we were very much, you know, bottom of the middle class. And um, the only way I can even figure out how to afford to pay for flight lessons, because they are so darn expensive. Um, was to apply for a scholarship with the military. So at 11, I decided I wanted to be a pilot at, gosh, I think it was 16 is when I walked into an Air Force recruiter's office and they said, honey, if you want to be a pilot, you should not try to be enlisting. You need to be talking to the officer corps. And I just got hooked up um, as life would have it with these perfect people who connected me to applying for an Air Force scholarship um, for college. And I was lucky enough to get awarded a four-year completely full scholarship um, to any college I wanted to go to. And so that kind of set me on my path to, okay, I can do this. Wow. That is a phenomenal story. And just to think that had you not gone with your dad or if he had not put you in the cockpit, what trajectory your life may have taken? Yeah, it's it's insane. And the interesting part too is, I mean, like I said, I'm very much, you know, female power. Um, but I think for those dads and uncles and brothers out there, honestly, most of the female pilots I meet have had a strong male presence that has pushed them towards aviation. Um, and obviously I want to change that a little. I want to be the person that pushes a lot of females towards aviation. Um, but I do think, I do want to remind the men out there that it is so important to kind of expose younger, younger gals to, um, aviation. Absolutely. Great. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm on board with you with that. And, um, I was lucky to have older brothers that, and my mom was very supportive. She always said, you can do anything that you want to do. Same as what your dad said you know, whatever, if you want to do this, you can. Um, but my brothers encouraged me to try things that were traditionally, or at least in my community, very, um, boy oriented and by having the confidence to say, okay, I'll do those things. It, um, it taught me a lot about, um, being a woman in a man's world at a very young age and feeling comfortable being the only female in a room, um, in environments that, or the boys club, so to speak. And I imagine the pilot world is, 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 or maybe was very much a boys club. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Um, and I, you know, we're not just, you're a thousand percent correct. Um, kind of just looking statistically, and this is kind of my drive for a lot of what I'm doing on the side too, is that a lot of people don't realize like there's only about 600,000 pilots 
in this world right now, only 13% of those are female pilots. And then you take it a step further to airline pilots. Everybody gets on the airlines, right? So you look at airline pilots. Out of all the airline pilots, only 4.5% are female. So that means in a room, and I work for specifically for Delta Airlines, in a room um, full of 100 Delta pilots, I'm one of four females. And it is very much, and you can imagine military back in the day when I went through military pilot training. I mean, it was even worse than that. I was in a class of 30 men and it was one, I was the only female in class. So you do get very used to adapting to a man's world. And I'm not saying by any means that that's easy to do. Um, but it is something you kind of have to do, but I would love to see those numbers change. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm sure that they will. I hope that they trend yeah. differently. Um, well, yeah. so moving a bit, you, you're, you got this scholarship. Um, um, did you go through, you went through university and then you went on to the military. Is that how that worked for you? Yeah. So it's Air Force ROTC, which is the Reserve Officer Training Corps. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to college at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. It is um, in Daytona Beach, um, Florida, obviously. And I went to college there, but I also had to participate in the Air Force. um, Like three times a week, I had to wear my uniform and go to Air Force class and those sort of things. And I wasn't guaranteed a pilot scholarship out of college. You had to work your way and earn that. So at 17 years old, my parents signed the dotted line for me with this scholarship, not knowing if I was going to be an Air Force pilot or not. So I had to earn that through college. And then after college is when I took the oath and I became an Air Force officer. And I went through the year-long Air Force pilot training uh, course there in Oklahoma. Okay. And then what was your career like um, when you were in the Air Force? So when I was in the Air Force, I ended up uh, staying in the Air Force about nine and a half years. And I did everything from, um, I flew C-17s, which are Glowmaster aircraft. And uh, the C-17 Glowmaster, they're both airdrop and air land aircraft. So that is probably one of the hugest, besides the C-5 for those aircraft buffs, um, buff people out there. Um, but it's one of the largest uh, cargo airplanes. And it's about 585,000 pounds. If you can picture that it's insane. They're huge. Um, I was based out of Charleston, South Carolina, and I was deployed several times. It was kind of a very interesting part of my life because even when I wasn't deployed to go actually live in Kuwait or Turkey or Qatar, um, I honestly, my life at that point, I mean, I was a 23 year old girl getting thrown in Afghanistan, one of the only females. Um, And honestly, I didn't have a whole lot of time at home. And um, it was just, it was a very difficult time. I was married at the time um, and I'm no longer married. Um, So I did transition from C-17s. I did kind of to try to make my marriage work. I took a step back and I ended up becoming an instructor pilot for pilot training. So I went back to my roots with the Air Force and was a flight commander there and an instructor there and did very, very well. But I still felt like I wanted to do more. I'm just kind of one of those people. Um, 
And then I ended up volunteering for a flying assignment that put me living in Afghanistan, Kandahar, Afghanistan for six months. And that's what I ended up doing. I ended up taking that position and that was to fly the E-11 aircraft. Um, And it's more of a communication system uh, aircraft, but I got a really great type rating out of it. And the Air Force sent me through um, corporate pilot training, which was very new for me. And I got to actually not train with military pilots. I got to train with people who, someone that Cynthia and I both know, his name is Ryan. Um, He's a fellow pilot friend, but I got to train with these awesome, just civilian corporate pilots and made these great connections um, and handed out all my business cards while I was there. And then I got shipped to Afghanistan and I flew out of, uh, I was an instructor evaluator pilot out of Afghanistan. And then the uh, super smart air force decided that they had way too many pilots in it. And they asked if there were any volunteers who would like to get out of the air force. And that was just honestly, Cynthia, that was my holy cow. Pick me, pick me, pick me, get me out of the, Mm -hmm. get me out of Afghanistan. So, um, and that kind of started the next phase of my pilot career. Um, that's a pretty amazing journey. I have a follow-up question to, um, why um, would the Air Force send you to corporate training? What was the benefit there? What 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 were they doing for those who don't know aviation? Yeah, absolutely. So the specific plane that I was trained to fly, I used to call it the super secret squirrel plane, um, but now a lot of people know it, and you and I myself have flown on it. It's called the um, Bombardier Global, the Global Express Global Vision aircraft. So most of the Air Force, we have specific aircraft, and then we train our pilots on those specific aircraft. Well, the Air Force bought these four super secret squirrel aircraft and um, only had them in Afghanistan. And so the best way to train the pilots to ship us over to Afghanistan was to put us with the civilian corporate pilots um, learning how to fly. And then, Cynthia, they would send me to Afghanistan, and I actually had my first landing, if you can believe that. My first landing in this aircraft was in Afghanistan. Oh, so wow. That's, yeah, so that's why. And obviously, there in Afghanistan is where we would then, as instructors, teach our pilots how we fly the aircraft, which is not really the... Um, you know, make sure you don't spill the champagne that, you know, we're used to uh, in the corporate aviation world. It was much more uh, tactical, you know, don't get what happens if you get fired at um, and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of why I went through a different school. But that school really opened up my eyes to what else is out there. Amazing. I love these, these stories of transition. Um, and... How did you, did you feel any type of shift in yourself when you, um, chose to leave the air force and move into, um, regular civilian society? It was, oh my gosh. Yes. It was just the biggest empowering, um, kind of this feminine energy feeling I could wear nice you know, nice, a nice business suit and kind of healed shoes and do my hair however I wanted. Um, just as far as kind of that empowering 
female feeling. Um, another thing too is, you know, I didn't really realize it until I left the military and believe me, I love the military. I, I think I am who I am because of the military. But with that being said, I do having lived that for so long, I do feel that it is almost this cult like family feeling. Um, and to break away from that when so many of my friends were still scared to do it, um, to break away was amazing. And I was probably one of the first of my friends to do it. And I now have all those friends asking me for help to get out of the military still to this day. I just had one text me last night. So, um, yeah, it was, it was an amazing feeling. I, I applaud you for being able to be bold and, and following that and, and now being a beacon for those who want to get out. And how does, how does one need help getting out of the military? Are they just needing emotional support or actual guidance to, to, to move through the, the machine that it is? Yeah. You know, the machine that is does a really good job of kind of transitioning you in their own way. With that being said, I think what a lot of people still don't realize out there is that the military really is, when I say cult, what I mean by that is a single soldier or airman can literally never leave an Air Force base or or a base. Um, What I mean by that is your life is your job. Your friends are your coworkers, your family, especially if you deploy with them overseas. Um, And then don't forget on this Air Force base, like where I lived, you have a chaplain, you have a church, you have a grocery store, you have a gas station, you have an officer's club where you can go get your beers on your Friday night. Um, And a lot of these bases are not out in beautiful, like where I live, Charleston, South Carolina, there is one here, but they're also out in the middle of nowhere, like Altus Air Force Base out in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, where I just, it kind of promotes this This almost you depend, your doctors, everything is the military. So transitioning from it is a huge wake-up call. You now don't have someone telling you, you have to go to the doctor in August. You are kind of, it's kind of time to put your big girl pants on or your big boy pants on and you've got to do it all yourself. Um, And that's not even getting into what maybe harassment people have gone through or post-traumatic stress disorder or all of the other um, issues that kind of come with the transition from, um, what you just came from. I see. Wow. Yeah. I have some brothers that were military and, um, it's, it definitely seemed like a community of sorts. And, and you mentioned the word family, and I think that it's probably the best descriptor of what you're experiencing, um, relying upon those services that are just there for you. And I was married to, um, uh, a service member years ago. And when we were in Japan, uh, we chose not to live on base, but had we have, I think we would have had a completely different experience and maybe would have just stayed very insular with the community that was just Americans in Japan. Um, but yeah. especially, but if you're in a place like Afghanistan, I'm sorry, you don't have a choice for your own. safety. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so you're out in, in the, the civilian world now, um, what are some challenges that you are, are facing? So, um, you know, in the civilian world, the first was, gosh, the first challenge I faced was finding a new job. 
Um, and I ended up applying where a friend of mine had just gotten hired. And it was one of the contacts in that same, um, corporate class that I went through pilot training with on that, uh, global express. And, you know, Cynthia, I, um, I do feel like we as women have to overcome a lot of, um, you know, what I guess the discrimination or what people think about, you know, who we are, who we might be. And, um, by no means do I think I'm beautiful, but I do think I'm a rather attractive gal and walking into my first interview, trying to get a job to be a captain on a global express. And the way I was treated there, um, I feel like I should have trusted my gut and my intuition. Um, but I would say it was very much kind of a, a demeaning. They've never hired a female before. I was their first one. And I know for a fact that my guy friend who went through the interview process with them was pretty much treated like a friend and offered a very, very high salary. And, um, me, myself going through the same process, it was a very different experience than what I know my friend had gone through. And they even tried to lowball me, gosh, thousands of dollars less than what they were, they offered to pay him. Um, and so that was kind of my first experience in the, okay, this is definitely a different world than I'm used to. Um, yeah. Right. Because in the military, don't you have certain pay grades and then bonuses based on like where you are with the position you, the rank you have, and then whatever position you're holding. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. It is just, um, no one questions. Exactly. It's based on your time and your rank and you get paid the same amount of money. Yep. Mm -hmm. So this was kind of, (laughs) yeah, what a difference. Yeah. Uh Um, so you said you wish you had listened to your intuition. What was your intuition saying? And then if had you listened to it, what would, what what would you have done? Um, you know, I never want to have regrets because again, I think life is, you know, life is always forward moving and I am who I am because of what I've experienced, but, um, listening to my gut, you know, this, I met with the owner of this company and he was just, um, not a, not a good person. We'll put it that way. And very much so that almost a year later into me being this corporate pilot, Um, I ended up resigning because of some of the things that they asked me to do um, as a pilot. And um, I found out, I think a year later, they ended up losing the entire company, filing bankruptcy over tax issues and all these other kind of shady, shady business moves that um, this man and his partner had made. So I do think I probably would have saved myself a little bit of stress and some less wrinkles had I listened to my intuition that something just didn't feel right with this, with this man. Mm. Yeah. I I think a lot of us have been there and uh, when you're in that space and you're like, maybe I should have done something differently. The only thing you can do moving forward is just pray that when that voice comes in, you have the the self-wisdom to uh, to accept it and, uh, and know that something else is there waiting for you. Yeah. Uh, 1000%. And I still use this. I'm 37 years old now. And I still use that to this day. If anything, I pay far more attention to my gut and my intuition and everything from relationships to business moves to, um, just 
friendships, everything I do. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, um, do you have any type of daily rituals, weekly, or just practices that help you keep yourself in tuned? You know, especially with this new year, I've, I've been really working on that and I've been blessed to kind of have a little bit of time off from work, which has been great. So I've got, I've gotten to um, stay home and kind of work on these rituals. Um, Cause as you know, traveling is a kind of a whole nother world with rituals, but um, you know, I start every day. I'm very much a, uh, a, a list person an organized person. And every day I wake up and I drink my my big Yeti full of fresh lemon water. And I take my dog on a walk when I'm home and listen to a podcast lately. I've been listening to yours and they're amazing. Um, but I always listen to some sort of, um, you know, educational, spiritual, something I want to listen to, um, to motivate me. And then honestly, after that, um, my rituals have kind of been, I've got a couple Oracle deck cards that I pull from, I've been reading The Course in Miracles. So every day I read my new day of The Course in Miracles book. And then I try to meditate for 10 minutes with my mala beads. Um, And that pretty much is something I can even do on the road, which is um, great for me. And then, of course, there's the workout and the trying to eat healthy and all that stuff. But I really think starting my day off um, on a solid good foot is what's been helping me. I am totally on board with morning rituals, weekly, all of those things. So we're very similar creatures in our morning habits. I don't have a pet to walk, um, but one of the things that I do in the morning is I do my meditations when I first wake up, but I always listen to something inspirational, whether it's like a podcast or a YouTube video um, or even like upbeat, happy spiritual music. And I created my own uh, gratitude playlist. Um, yeah. on, even if I'm in a sourpuss mood and I'll, I'll do some mental, um, exercises to understand what's happening with my brain, um, to acknowledge them and not just try to push them down. Uh, but then I'm like, okay, enough is enough. We've got to listen to some good, some good, happy music. And it typically helps shift the day. Um, so I love that you do all those things and the lemon water is so important for like Ayurvedic purposes, right? I should do. That. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, I've been reading a lot of medical medium. I just love um, everything he has to say. So I do a lot of lemon water. I've been doing a lot of celery juice, a lot more plant-based um, and I just feel better. And it's, it's been amazing. Yeah. I, I love that. When I'm on the road, I, um, I control what, what is purchased and I'm always buying uh, green juices that are all um, the only fruit that they might have them in them are like grapefruit or apple but it's typically, typically all a green juice. And I found that that's a really good way to start the day and be a little bit better in the alkalinity of my body. So, um, there are ways to stay in your rituals, even, even when traveling, but I think it requires a lot more discipline, right? And you have a, I'm sure a, a hectic schedule at times when working with the airlines. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but no, I'm with you on that. Again, I know because we've flown together and you've been asked, what do you like to eat? And I I told you, and we knew we were twins from that um, moment. But I mean, I really think, you know, I think people get way too overwhelmed with it. And I just think, you know, if it comes from nature, it's fine. You know, and the first thing, I mean, you're detoxing your body all night long. So the best thing you can do is give it 
some fruit, some veggies to eat rather than, you know, starting your day with, you know, a bacon, egg and cheese on a muffin or so, you know, it just Mm -hmm. to me is just, just think about it, you know? Um, but yeah, I know you and I are very much alike when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's great. So just some kind of like rapid fire questions here. Um, you had mentioned, um, you know, being, uh, being an entrepreneur and there's something I'm very interested in. Um, you are, where is it at the founding board member of she's the veteran. Can you tell me a bit more about your, your life outside of, um, just flying? What else are you doing? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is kind of my year to really expand outside of the aviation world. I just feel that drive um, coming. And so I I just do a lot of volunteer work. I'm really trying to build my tribe. And I think the only way I know how to build my tribe is to just go out there and start getting involved in um, things I really believe in. And one of which is a gal I met from junior league. I, I joined the junior league of Charleston, um, a couple of years ago. And I met, um, another female veteran. Her name is Brooke. And she started this, um, organization called she's the veteran. And you can look it up online by, by all means. Um, but it's really, and her focus where she started this and we're working on getting the 501 C three, um, this year to become a nonprofit. Um, but why she started it is she really f- saw the need of us as female veterans to kind of build a tribe together and kind of what you and I've already talked about, but a little bit of the transition out of the military and what life is like. Uh, there's also a lot of the mental issues that I think females specifically go through as veterans due to um, a lot of times, you know, being in that man's world. Um, but also a lot of us have seen combat and, um, we've lost a lot of friends over, you know, to combat, um, or aircraft accidents or what may it be. Um, and so her and I are really working together to build a tribe of women and we're starting to do, um, pretty much monthly meetings, which are online, kind of a podcast as well. And she, um, also is starting a yearly gala where we get all the the girls together. Um, and there's all these retreats. Um, we work a lot with, um, their surf camps and I'm trying to get us into like a pole dancing class and some things to kind of really just embrace who we are as women, but really also focus on, um, healing those wounds from the past. And if not healing entirely, at least creating a tribe of women so we can help, help each other get through the rest of life. I love that. That sounds like an amazing organization and I'm excited to see uh, how it grows and and the reach that you're going to have. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. We're super excited. Um, Absolutely. There's just so much there. Um, And like the last meeting I was in, there was probably 30 women um, on the Zoom call and it was just, it's astounding to me, you know, how many and a lot of them didn't even live in Charleston. And this by no means is just singled out for women in Charleston. This is um, all over the country. And so it's just exciting. You know, there's more people just like me out there. Um, so it's great. Beautiful. Is there, what would you say is your number one motivator at this time? My number one motivator. That's a good question. Um, you know, I, 
honestly, I think this is a good and a bad thing. Um, but I think I was raised as a child to be a perfectionist in a way. Um, and it's kind of also kind of this core belief that I'm working with my own life coach on, cause it can also be very negative. Um, but I very much am motivated by kind of always trying to do the next thing, um, see where I can go. I just don't ever believe enough is enough. I just am always motivated to find the next step or reach the next person or fly the next airplane or, um, you know, who knows what, what it might be. I know I'm very much in a, at a transition. I really do want to settle down and, and have a baby someday soon and that sort of thing. Um, but I still have that drive to just keep, keep going, keep moving, keep trying to be the best version of myself I can be. I love that. And I can totally relate. And it's good to have that type of driver, but also noticing when, um, it may be, um, for me personally, uh, when I, when I'm beating myself up over something, not being perfect or not getting to do the thing that I want to do right now. Um, uh, it's, it's just a, a strong mental exercise, but I'm grateful to, to have that type of motivation. And it sounds like you do too. And plus like the world is, is so big. It's so fascinating. There's so many things to do. Um, there's no time to be bored. (laughs) Yeah, no, a thousand, there's no time to be bored, but there's also, I think a lot of people might look at people like you and I and say, well, don't, aren't they afraid of anything? Because I know you're a lot like me and we just, I think people like us, we just go try it. And I think what a lot of you know, the listeners out there, I would want them to know is that I'm terrified all the time. Like I get terrified. If I'm trying something new, uh, there's a good chance I'm terrified, but there's, but I guess the, for me, it's the bigger fear of not trying or not seeing what you could do. Um, and that terrifies me even more. So, you know, right now I fly, um, the a three thirty, which is this massive aircraft and the first landing I'm going to do on it is going to have 300 passengers on it. Um, and I'm not going to tell you that that's not, that's not scary. It's a little scary, but you know, you're confident. You need to be confident in yourself and what you've done in the past. And, you know, like I said, if it's more scary to not try than it is to try or, you know, to put yourself out there, um, and try new things, do new things, become a pilot, go travel the world alone. Like you've done so much of, you know, I think a lot of people are just so afraid and they limit themselves. Absolutely. Um, if you're afraid of something, you should try it. And the great thing is is we're all beginners. And if you accept that there's not going to be perfection at first, um, you have a greater chance to, to grow quicker, faster. And, and honestly, like we learn from adversity. So that's some really solid advice. Just, just go and try it. Um, Yeah. yeah. Um, so looking at that you're like driving down the, the highway of life right now and like looking through your windshield, what do you see ahead for, for yourself? I mean, I'm excited. Um, I'm very excited about the future. I kind of see myself always being an airline pilot because I do love, I do love to fly. I love the clouds. Um, but you know, I do see myself possibly taking more of a step back and, Um, I'm really excited about, um, 
becoming kind of a life coach. I already mentor a lot of friends and friends of friends and usually mostly um, women who are trying to get into the the aviation field. Um, But I really feel like I've just got so much to share and so much help I can give. So I'm really trying to transition towards on the side, um, doing some life coaching, some consulting. Um, But even more so, I am ecstatic. I'm really working. I don't want to tell too much. I don't want to give away too much, but I am working on writing um, a children's book right now. And so that has me more excited and happy than I've been in a really long time. Um, So career-wise, I'm really excited about all of that. And then personal-wise, you know, who knows what the future holds? I, um, like I said, I am not married. I am still... Um, I am dating a a guy right now, but I do believe, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And I know that I really do want a child someday. So who knows? I've got appointments with doctors to freeze my eggs this year. Um, I had a good airline pilot friend of mine who just adopted this beautiful baby girl. And that has me thinking a lot about, um, looking into adoption. I just, I just know the next phase I was born to be a mother. Um, I'm very into numerology and I'm a life path six. So for those of you who know anything about that, I have this motherly um, instinct that I just want to take care of everyone. Um, and I kind of think now this next phase, looking through that windshield is very much going to be time for me to maybe start taking care of um, some children. So that's what I'm hoping for. Ooh, I love all of this. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, so... Um... What else should I ask you? You've answered so many wonderful questions. Um, my favorite question to ask all of the guests that come on to her drive podcast is this, um, Sherry, if you could go back in time and ask a younger you or give a younger you some advice, what age would you uh, be? And what would you say? You know, and I've heard a lot of your guests and a lot of them answer it the same way. And I don't want to repeat answers, but I 1000% would go back. I would say to that like 11 year old girl, the one that was sitting in that flight deck um, helicopter with my dad. But I would tell that girl to start listening to her gut and her intuition. And um, I have done that a lot through my life, but there's been times where I did not listen to it. Um, and I do think it would have saved me a lot of pain and heartbreak, um, if I had listened to that gut and intuition. And like I've kind of mentioned before, but I mean, I think that is in business. I think that's in school. I think that's with friendships. I think that's with partners, lovers, um, you know, bosses. I I mean, I really, truly, everything I do now is take some time to be still and listen to my gut. And usually your gut, I shouldn't say usually your gut will always tell you the right answer. It just might take you some time to believe it. Um, but I would absolutely go back and tell myself, trust your gut. Amazing advice. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much, Miss Sherry Ginger for being a guest on her drive. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we say fairly well? 
you know, no, I just am so honored to be on your show, Cynthia. I, like I said, I've listened to a lot of your podcast and you really have something amazing going here. And, um, I just, I'm so amazed by the, the empowering women that you've already interviewed. I'm so ecstatic to be one of those. Um, uh, but I can't wait to listen and meet all the rest of them that you interview as well. So thank you for putting yourself out there and doing this. I think it's, it's astounding. It's amazing. You're so sweet. And, and I'm flattered that, um, to hear that. And the show is really all about, um, hearing stories from amazing women like yourself and, it's kind of a selfish thing that I started years ago now um, because I didn't have such a large uh, female friend group. And then one of my best male friends had suggested, you know, start to cultivate those that you have and find some more. And I wanted to just start talking to the women that I saw on social or I would meet in my, my everyday life that I just found to be so amazing and inspiring. And I feel so blessed that you came into my life and now, you know, are able to share your story and, um, get to watch you continue to thrive in your life. So thank you very much for being here. Um, Sherry, um, for our listeners, can you let them know how they might be able to find you if they want to learn more about you and, and, and what you do and where you're volunteering? Yes, absolutely. Um, so again, my name is Sherry, S-H-E-R-R-I. My last name's Ginger, G-I-N-G-E-R. And by all means, please look me up on LinkedIn. Absolutely. Also Facebook, you can find me under the same name. And if you're on Instagram, you can find me under um, S-G Fly With Me. So S-G-F-L-Y-W-M-E. So cute. Well, thank you, Sherry. Thanks so much, Cynthia. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to Her Drive with Cindy Cramblett. If you want to know more about today's guest or know a fascinating woman you'd love for me to interview, please see the show notes, visit Instagram or her-drive.com. And please, 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 if you love the show, leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for riding along and subscribe to join our next woman and her drive to success.